0: The following sermon was delivered by senior pastor, Rev. Dr. Scott Black Johnston, in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday, in person or on live stream. For details, go to FAPC.org. And now, here is Rev. Dr. Scott Black Johnston. To help us consider these questions, we're going to listen to two passages from the book of Genesis this morning. The first reading comes from Genesis chapter 9. It's the story of God stretching a rainbow across the sky after a destructive flood. It's the moment when God establishes a covenant with creation. Listen now for God's word to you. Then God said to Noah and to Noah's family, as for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I established my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood and and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant I make between me and you and every living creature that is with, with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Our second reading this morning, also from the book of Genesis, comes from chapter one in this short passage, which falls immediately after God has created humankind. The Holy One informs the very first people that they have a unique role to play in the created order. Listen again for God's word to you. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's upon the face of all the earth and, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. As a child... I used to watch a television program called Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Do any of you remember that production? Give me a little help here. Yeah, okay, all right. It featured this mustachioed zoologist, Marlon Perkins, a man who traveled around the globe in an awesome open-top Land Rover, talking about, interacting with, and often rescuing, wild animals. I was also a fan of a similar ocean-based program, The Undersea World of Jacques Cousteau. Like most children, I found these shows about the natural world to be utterly fascinating. I, I loved learning about animals and their exotic habitats, although I must admit that at times I found the animal's precarious lives to be downright distressing. And I brought these concerns to my parents. Uh, Why do lions have to hunt and eat gazelles? And and why do the cattle that we raise and especially my favorite Black Angus calf who I named Top Hat all have to be sold to market? And why does dad have tears in his eyes when the truck comes to take the steers away? My mother sought to allay my concerns by grounding me in the good book. This is just the way things are, Scott. God has given us dominion over every living thing. Her words, quoting Genesis 1, stuck with me, and as I grew, I I began to hear those words echoed by other people, some of whom were using Genesis to try and explain away humanity's often disturbing treatment of animals. That, my friends, is our starting point this morning. What does Genesis 1 mean? When God grants people dominion, does it permit humans to do whatever the heck they want with the rest of creation? What sort of relationship does God want us to have with other living things? To wrestle with these questions, I want to offer seven short reflections on the topic of dominion. Now, some of today's content may be tough, to hear. And here's my covenant with you. I promise never to tell you difficult stories simply for shock value. And at the same time, I promise not to look away from suffering when I think it has something important to say, a claim to lay on us. So without further ado, Dominion Reflection Number 1, Good Friday for Frogs. When I was 10 years old, two brothers from a neighboring farm took me in, in a manner of speaking. And I was the new kid there, new to agricultural America, new to farming, a city boy from New Jersey, transplanted to a rural county in the Midwest. So these two took it upon themselves to educate me. They acquainted me with the jolt that an electric fence can give. (laughs) And after I'd shaken off the spasms in my arm, my new friends asked jovially if I'd like to see some frogs that they'd captured in the rushes alongside a pond. I nodded. They took me to another corner of the field where three frogs hung by their flippers from the barbs on a barbed wire fence. The brutality of the scene shook me harder than the electric jolt and I ran away, tearful. Every year, and yes, my mind is a strange place, I think of those three frogs on Good Friday. Every Holy Week, I remember those poor creatures and humanity's remarkable capacity for cruelty. I also remember how my mother responded when I arrived back in her kitchen. I know this probably doesn't help, she said, because what they did to those frogs was just plain wrong. But I've heard that their father drinks too much. And when he does, he hits those boys. Dominion Reflection number two, dictionary work. What does it mean to have dominion? According to the dictionary, to exercise dominion is to rule. It's to have governing authority over a people or a place. It's to be a Lord or a lady who exercises absolute power and control over a land or a household. The Latin root of dominion is domus, which simply means house. This root occurs in, in other familiar English words, words like domicile, domestic, and dominate. We make use of this root whenever we mark time in the Christian world. When we describe a year as 2022 AD, the AD is shorthand for agno domini, which means, of course, in the year of our Lord. Power. Control, home, in the year of our Lord. At the end of the day, the dictionary sends us right back to our tradition, back to scripture for further guidance. When Genesis tells us to exercise dominion over every living thing, what exactly does it have in mind? What sort of power are we supposed to exercise? Dominion reflection number three. What sort of gods are we? Matthew Scully, a Republican politico and former speechwriter for George W. Bush, has written a deeply moving book regarding the plight of animals in this world. It's titled, you guessed it, Dominion. Scully observes that in many ways humans have not been especially kind sovereigns in their thrones atop the food chain. He writes, and I quote, the worst of it is not the cruelty but the arrogance, the sheer hubris of those who bring only violence and fear into the animal world as if it needed any more of either It's our fellow creatures lot in the universe, the place assigned to them in creation to be completely at our mercy. And to me, it's always seemed not only ungenerous and shabby, but a kind of supreme snobbery to deal cavalierly with animals, as if their little share of the earth's happiness and grief were inconsequential, meaningless, beneath humanity's attention. Dominion Reflection number four. What sort of God is God? A reading from Luke chapter 12, verse six. And Jesus said to them, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Dominion Reflection number five. Wait, sparrows? God actually cares about sparrows? According to scripture, When Noah and his family emerge from the ark after the great flood has receded, when when the door opens and and all the animals who had been living in the ark hop and slide and, and gallop back into the world, at that moment, God spreads a rainbow across the sky. And then God says to Noah, I'm establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. In today's text from Genesis 9, the Holy One declares, I have made my covenant with all the earth's creatures. We, we tend to forget the broad sweep of these words. Uh, I guess we humans are skilled at tuning out things that don't pertain to us. And I guess realizing this, Genesis repeats God's announcement in today's text. Not once, not twice, but three times. Genesis tells us in no uncertain terms. The covenant is inclusive. God cares about all life. God makes promises to the animals. Now what does that mean? Dominion Reflection number six. For the Bible tells me so. What else does the Bible say about animals? Can you eat them? Scripture vacillates on this point in the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament. It vacillates as to whether vegetarianism, which We saw this morning in Genesis chapter one, it's plants as food, not only for humankind, but also for all the animals, or whether meat eating is to be preferred, as we see in Genesis nine later. This this argument continues For, for thousands of years. It's still very active During the time of the early church, the Apostle Paul is faced with this as a big conflict in early Christian communities. The conflict is vegetarian versus meat-eating. What about hunting and fishing? Generally speaking, Scripture describes these activities as human behavior that is blessed by God. And yes, the Gospel of John does tell us that on Easter, Jesus catches fish, presumably cleans them, and cooks them for his friends. What does the Bible say about animals and their role in agriculture? Scripture makes all sorts of comments about Farming, and it offers concrete guidance on the treatment of domestic animals. In in Proverbs, we're told that a righteous person has compassion in caring for her animals. What's more, in Scripture, God commands that animals be given Sabbath rest. Whenever those commandments about the Sabbath come up, it applies to humanity and animals too. Not only that, but in trying to help us understand who God is, the Bible frequently describes the Holy One as an animal, as an eagle, a leopard, a bear, a mother hen, and even as a moth. Scripture also tells us that God values the lives of animals. In the book of Jonah, God refuses to destroy the city of Nineveh. And this makes the prophet Jonah really angry because Jonah wants Nineveh flattened, turned to dust. On hearing this, God turns to Jonah and asks, Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city? In which there are more than hundred and twenty thousand people who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals. Does scripture say anything explicitly about factory farms? Or chickens who live their lives in tiny cages under fluorescent lights? never to feel the breeze or to see the sun or to peck on the ground at scattered grain and pebbles. No, farms on a scale like that, in conditions like that, blessedly did not exist in the ancient world. And yes, as we have observed, repeatedly this morning, God has compassion for all living things. All in all, the good book has a lot to say about animals. How does its varied witness on this topic inform our ethics? To answer, I think we need to go back To our initial question, the question that lies at the foundation of all these issues, when God tells humankind, exercise dominion over the animals, what sort of dominion does God have in mind? Our final dominion reflection, number seven, the frog fog. We started with frogs. Let's end with frogs. Our cabin in Northern Minnesota lies 16 miles east of the nearest town, Ely. My daughter, Isabella, works a summer job in Ely. She's a retail staff member at an outfitter, a store that sells clothing, camping gear, fishing licenses, and other supplies for people adventuring in the Boundary Waters wilderness. This past summer, Isabella worked the closing shift, and every night she would get off work around 9.15. I would pick her up and drive her home along the dark roads of the Superior National Forest. One night, late in August, as we were making our way east, Through fog and light rain, we noticed first one and then increasingly more and more frogs and toads hopping across the road. An amazing number of amphibians were on the move. What's going on? It's a frog fog, said Izzy. And she was right. Later, doing a bit of research, I read that on damp nights in the summer, When fog rises from wetlands, frogs and toads will make this perilous journey. It's their annual migration. The amphibians prefer to travel on foggy nights because wet pavement affords their soft skin some protection from the typically rough surface of the road. And at this time of year, the frogs and toads cross fields and roads seeking small, still bodies of water. Shallow ancestral ponds, puddles even, where they can breed without ravenous fish eating their eggs. It takes a toad about six seconds, according to biologists, I read this, if the creature stays focused to cross a two-lane highway. So we slowed our speed, leaned forward, and peered into the fog. Izzy called out hopping amphibians and I did my best to avoid them. Once you know what you're looking for, you can get pretty good at it. Good, but not perfect. One of the trickiest parts of the drive came on the final two-mile road to dirt road to our cabin. It's one lane there. And here, there's no room to swerve. And for some reason, on the dirt roads, when caught in our headlights, the toads and frogs and tiny spring peepers would freeze on the gravel surface. So I would stop, and Amy or Izzy would exit our pickup, carrying a flashlight, and try to nudge the peepers on their way. One night, I watched Amy attempt to convince a particularly stubborn toad to move off the road and into the tall grass. As the wipers flipped back and forth, click, 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 click. I could see my spouse in the steady drizzle. Her hair and clothing soaked, her glasses fogged, vaguely swatting at stray mosquitoes buzzing around her head. My bride leaned down. Look at your mother, I said to my daughter. She's talking to that darn toad. (laughs) And then, remarkably, right on cue, that brown bump in the road turned and hopped away, saved from almost certain squashing. Click-click went the wipers. Clearing away some, but not all, of the water between me and this gentle scene. My friends, we know how awful dominion can be. We read the papers. We've looked at the pictures. For goodness sake, we regularly repeat here the Apostles' Creed. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. And that's why, before we turn away in horror or in apathy, from all the world's ugliness, our faith grabs our sleeve. Hold on there is an alternative vision for dominion. In the good book, in Genesis, God tells Noah, I have spread my rainbow in the sky. It's there to remind you humans of my deep care for you. And it's there to remind you of my compassion for every other living thing pouring out of that ark over there. How does God expect us to exercise dominion? I think we know. Don't we? The grace of Christ attend you. The love of God surround you. The comfort of the Holy Spirit keep you. That you may live in faith abound in hope, and grow in love toward each other and toward all of God's creation. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.